Hey, it's Dan Taberski, and this is a bonus episode of Headlong Surviving Y2K. So if you're listening to this episode, you've hopefully already heard the whole season unfold, and you know that it has some pretty intense things happen. Babies being born and banks being robbed and religion and apocalyptic thinking, and you know, it's heavy. Some really intense stories. But in the process of reporting this season, we actually met a lot of people whose stories weren't so intense. They were funny. And one of those stories came to us from Josh Gondelman. Josh is a writer and a comic, and he spent five years writing on Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. And he was kind enough to share his Y2K story with me. What happened to him and his group of awkward 15-year-old buddies when the clock struck midnight on Y2K? And like Y2K itself, the story's about technology and fear of the bug and a simpler, nerdier time. And also like Y2K itself, Josh's story ends with a big nothing. But getting to that big nothing, it's, uh, it's really fun to hear Josh tell it and get a sense of how the millennium felt from the vantage point of a teenager who looked exactly like Screech from Saved by the Bell. Here's Josh Gondelman. Okay, how much time do you have, just so I know? I, my next thing isn't till 4.30 and it's not far from here in Brooklyn. I don't think it'll take that yeah. long. Unless, like, you have some sort of, like... On air, epiphany. yeah, you're just like you're like the Cindy Brady. You see the light, the the, the red light. I ended up panic. remembering a few more details. All right, all right, all right. okay. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Da, da, da. We're just gonna start in the simplest way possible. Tell me, um, what did you do to usher in the millennium? So I w- had a party. I was almost 15 years old. I was born in January of 1985. Where were you living at this? Where did you grow up? I, so I grew up in Stoneham, Massachusetts, uh-huh. which is just north of Boston. And I was with friends in Peabody, Massachusetts, okay. which is fully North Shore is how they identify North Shore. And North Shore as a North thing? Shore. Yeah, guy. Is Peabody different than? Peabody. Oh, sorry. <laughs> which, no, 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 no. You did not. Peabody. You said it right. And then I said it the way we say it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, so. Peabody. We're in, so you're, Peabody, Massachusetts, you're in Peabody, Massachusetts. Peabody, Massachusetts. Which is North Shore. It's 15 minutes from where I grew up. And it was friends that I knew. My best friend since preschool. What's his name? We were at Ethan's parents' house. And they were out. And then it was um, Eric... Aaron, Dan, Matt, Barry, I think, and then a couple other guys that came and went. But that was, was like the core group. Yeah, it was, I mean, the yes, for sure. So Ethan's parents are having a party. They're somewhere else. They're out at a different party. So this, party. Is, a, this is an, un, an this unsupervised, is, yeah. An unsupervised yeah, yeah. party. It was an unsupervised party, and we weren't like that much fun. Yeah. We were playing video games, eating Doritos, you know, probably ordered some pizza with the money we had. Were there any Do, girls? There were, I can say almost categorically there were no girls at any point in this evening. Like that's, you know, that's the kind of party it was. Yeah. It was just like, uh, just like a fucking little rascals treehouse style party. Only maybe there was like light drinking. Probably like GoldenEye 007 and uh, gosh, what was the name of the football game? NFL Blitz. Oh, okay. Just like hanging out, playing video games, Fun. D- doing doing uh, you know teenage nonsense. Fun. So, do you have a picture of yourself back then? I might have my driver's license photo, which is a couple years later, but it gets you the point because oh, here it is. Oh, I looked like Screech from Saved by the Bell. That's me at seventeen. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's like really brutal and pe- people called me Screech in <laughs> high school I'm not going to say what I think I'm just going to show Henry <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry 
No, that's okay. We're just looking at the side by side here, and it is uncanny. It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. So that's me. So this is you. It's brutal. This is you, d- ushering in the millennium, looking like Screech. Looking like Screech at a house party. At a house Ethan's party. Ethan's house. Parents are gone. Parents you are guys, gone. Little light drinking. Not you. So, the kind of focal point of the evening is Dan's family had this old computer called the CompuAd. That's like their real name of it. And it was so it was so big. It was like two cinder blocks side by side in my memory. And it was so old. It was the oldest computer extant in any one of our families. And we made fun of it all the time. And yeah. it was like basically good for word processing. And they had that dots and boxes game. You know where you yes. there are dots and you connect them to make boxes. Yes. And did it have a floppy disk drive? It must have. Yeah. Probably the three and a half inch ones, right, not right. the five and a quarter. Right. But it was. But good on you for knowing the exact sizes of floppy disks. Thank discs. you. Yeah. I, uh, you know, it's one of those things that'll never be useful again, and I'll always know. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just is. Yep, it's truth. So we ha- set up this dots and boxes game, and there is an autoplay mode, like a demo mode, where it's like, in case you don't know how to make a box out of some dots, here it is. So we. We set it up to do that just before midnight. This was the plan going well, you, into the you, night. You plugged the CompuAd Plugged back the CompuAd, brought it to Ethan's house, plugged it in, brought was, the monitor. Oh, so this had forethought. This oh, was... yeah, 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 yeah. This is like, this was the plan. Um, this is the night. So you could understand why girls might not be there. <laughs> <laughs> so we brought the computer from Dan's house to Ethan's house with the monitor. And the the stipulation was like, it doesn't matter what happens to the computer. They need the monitor back for another computer. So we set up the the CompuAd with the dots and boxes demo. And our hope was that if we set it up just before midnight, that when midnight hit, when the clock rolled over, that the Y2K bug would cause the dots and boxes game to crash. And we knew vaguely that that was not what the Y2K bug was rumored to do. But we were just hoping that we would get to see like a little chaos firsthand, like a little of the degradation of technology and the lack of forethought of the human mind. We wanted to see it up close. In dots and boxes. In dots and boxes. Do you remember thinking that anything was really going to happen? I mean, I know you're trying to see it manifest on this computer, but do you remember thinking like maybe something will happen? I do. I think that we... I, I don't think... That we would have gone through the trouble if it was like, we weren't being ironic. Um, We really thought like, oh, maybe something will happen. It was kind of like a a pipe dream. Mm. You know, like we hear that there's this thing, this glitch that's supposed to happen big picture, and we would like to see it in our home. We thought that would be like a cool way to ring in the new year. So we set it up. And it's on a loop now. It's, it's on a loop. Okay. And yeah, just on the demo version. And mm-hmm. we set it up and... Are your eyes glued to this computer? Yeah. Oh, yeah. There's probably six of us. And we're just like, sight. We just want to see what happens. Yeah. We're, we're really excited to see... We're hoping that it crashes. We're hoping that the computer crashes like a Donkey Kong kill screen. Something yeah. like manifestly... Bad and wrong is yeah. what we're hoping for. I'm picturing like in this. So if this was a movie. The camera is actually from the point of view of the, of computer, the computer screen. Yes. Yeah. Looking out at us. And looking see, at the computer. I see you, Dan, Ethan. Yeah. Joe's not there. And you guys are all just looking at this thing, waiting to see. Yeah. Y2K Glint manifest. Here. Yeah. We just want to see it up close and personal. Right. And so we're we're looking, and we're hoping, 
and midnight hits, the lines keep making boxes out of dots, and we're disappointed. You know, for the fate of humanity, we're happy because right. we really, I think the conversation, we really talked about, well, if the CompuAd weathered this, then certainly uh, <laughs> Wall Street is going to be okay and traffic lights won't stop working, yeah. all that. We figured, like, if the CompuAd is the threshold, every bigger system must pass. Yeah. We're not, nuclear missiles aren't flying out of silos willy-nilly <laughs> because dots and boxes has persevered. It's not the dumbest no, I stand behind it. Yeah. So Dots and Boxes continues. We're we're disappointed. We stop the demo. We restart it. We play it through again thinking maybe that it had loaded the entire play beforehand and it wasn't randomly dotting and boxing. It was uh, premeditated. So we start again. It plays through to the end. We're disappointed and we become furious. We were really mad and we were like, we got to... We got to fuck this computer up, man. So it escalates quickly. Yo, yeah, 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 yeah. There was because I think we were hoping. This is how riots start. <laughs> Fortunately, it didn't go that far. We didn't. There was no broader movement or cause that we were in service of. Uh, <laughs> the Red Sox hadn't done anything notable, good or bad, so people weren't just taking to the streets wantonly. <laughs> so we figure we're taking Y2K into our own hands. The CompuAd survived it, and it would not survive us. When we come back, vigilante justice. 15-year-old boy from Peabody, Massachusetts style. So what did you decide to do? So the first thought was to... I think Ethan's neighbors were kind of at the time kind of like stuffy and had already noise complained us mm. on, on New Year's Eve before midnight, which is out of bounds. So I think the first thought was to leave it on fire on their doorstep with just a note that says, we are Y2K. <laughs> <laughs> and then we we're like, well, we would immediately get caught and in a super lot of trouble. And like, that's not a good thing to do. Like right. we could burn down the entire condo complex. Right. Bad news. So <laughs> the next idea, which is the one we followed through on, which was to was to bring it down to this bridge that went over some defunct train tracks by a nearby cemetery and throw the computer off a bridge. There were like a couple voices of caution, like, oh, we might get caught. We kind of went back and forth on that. And then my contribution to this endeavor was I said, look, if we throw a computer off a bridge, that's littering. That is trouble. You know, if it if it gets traced back to us, like I don't know what I think police did <laughs> when I was 15, 14. I don't know what I think, like, what detectives were doing, but you know, if it comes back it comes back to us, I can't have this on my permanent record. I'm trying to go to college, man. So <laughs> we, I, my addition to this endeavor was I said, look, if we get Sharpies and we write messages to the future on this computer, on the CPU, we are no longer littering. We are leaving a time capsule for subsequent generations. And then it's it's like uh, we're home free. You know, like every kid is like a lawyer where it's like, no, if they're a cop, they have to tell me they're a cop. Like it was like that level, but I made it up instead of someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it also makes it like an art piece. Yes, that's what I thought. Or like, you know, the thing about like, no, it's okay if I if you have to pee, you pee on your own car's tires and then it's not. Have you ever heard that? 
That's like a thing. <laughs> Maybe that's just a Boston thing. I think that might have been one of those things that you made up. I did yeah. not. Because I've heard other people talk about it. Why but are you peeing on any tires? Why it's not like if you're street? stranded by the side of the road and you have to pee, you don't just pee in the street because that's like public urination. You kind of pee on your own car's tires. And oh, because then it's not public urination. Then yeah, you're... or like, or it's not like whatever whatever the crime is. Yeah, it's yeah. not just like leaving a puddle of pee in the street. <laughs> it's you peed on your tires. It's um, <laughs> yeah, that. So it was like that level of legal expertise. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's also kind of sweet that like it makes you start thinking bigger. Yeah, like... I really I enjoyed that part of it. So this is like the part of the evening that's like slightly hard to recall because I. We all wrote on the computer, and I no one will cop. I've I sent out an email thread. There's an email chain that I sent out about this story recently. The best thing I remember was that I think I signed it uh, Gondelberg, which is not my name. It is a professional wrestler. Bill Goldberg was very popular at that point among weak Jews because he was just like the biggest Jew we knew of <laughs> and so we're like that guy's pretty cool he was in the WCW I think he was just a big Jewish guy history has not remembered him kindly I, don't I remember think, Goldberg yeah I don't think he's especially beloved in even in the like warm glow of professional wrestling nostalgia well, he, wasn't, he wasn't really setting himself up for it like remember Goldberg like it's not really Goldberg is not a pantheon name no but for us it was. Pantheon. Yeah. <laughs> and so that I wrote that. I'm sure it was all very stupid. It was like some of it was just like meta commentary on the nature of the Y2K bug. Like, oh, Y2K bitch or whatever it was. Right. And hopes for the coming year. We we kind of treated it like you would sign a high school yearbook. Like, never change. Right. <laughs> so it was a lot of that. It was like very being real dickheads. Yeah. And so we wrote on this CPU, and then we carried it. I think it took two of us at a time. Without the monitor. Without the monitor. Because Dan's dad needed Dan's the monitor needed back. back. So we took the CPU and the, just the body of this thing. And it probably, I, I have to imagine, I want to say 25 pounds, which is like not more than one person could carry, but it was certainly like unwieldy. It wasn't, there right. was no backpack I mean, straps. Not for Gondelberg. Not for Gondelberg, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> so we carried it, I believe... In we took turns carrying it in teams of two, and we went quarter mile, half a mile down to this bridge. Oh, you committed! Yeah, this is we a really walk. did. Yeah, yeah. It was like pretty dark, and we're kind of skulking and and hauling this computer, and we get to the bridge that connects the street to the cemetery, and it's over these train tracks. How high are you up? Like it's got to be twenty, thirty feet. Yeah. It's not super high, but it's um, it's over track, over train tracks, like, over train tracks. Like I believe they're not in use because we didn't want to. Uh, cause a train derailment in the event that yeah. they start using the tracks. Yeah, um, that would have been like what a what a terrible butterfly flaps its wings yeah. story. It would have been also incredibly ironic that a computer had caused the derailment of a train. Yeah, I mean something would have been poetic <laughs> about it. We're just like, yeah, I guess Y two K did happen, yeah. and we were its agents <laughs> of destruction. <laughs> so we kind of hoist the the computer up onto the ledge. It's about like chest high mm-hmm. almost to stop people from uh, falling off the bridge. Mm-hmm. And do you guys decide like, are, do you, are you, so you have, I would imagine you pause at this moment and decide yeah. how it's going to happen. Yes. So where we, we've got it balanced, braced on the ledge, supported by hands. And we're like, we're here, we're doing it. There's we're we're at the point of no return is a dramatic way to put it. Cause we could have returned, but we're certainly at, we've come 
far enough that we're like, okay, this is happening. And I believe it was my friend Aaron. Yeah, I was like, let's just do it and go. Which, like, he he kind of, like, lost it in the heat of the moment. Like in every movie when a bunch of people who have never killed the guy before kill a guy. Let's just do it and go, man. And I was like, well, we have to wait. Let's look to make sure there's, like, not a person or an animal down there that we're going to crush with this giant computer from 30 feet up. And he was like, oh, yeah, I really got ahead of myself. <laughs> like, he was just, like, so caught up in the frenzy. So we looked down. Did you all push together? Yeah, we had all hands on it. I think everybody kind of wanted to be a part of it. And so we pushed, and it fell. I'd hoped it would fall, like, in slow motion, end over end, and make kind of a crashing sound and fly apart springs and gears and the plastic face and the hard drive cracked open visibly. But instead, it just kind of, like, turned over and then fell the 20, 30 feet and just like a soft, like, soft thud. The night had disappointed us yet again. But we were still proud that we'd followed through. Welcome uh, to the new millennium. Th- yeah, that's that's how we felt. It was like, we, we are going into this millennium men of action, <laughs> men of our word, uh, people who see tasks through from beginning to end. And, and so it felt good in that way, but in the way that it... it uh, did I, do you remember if anybody verbalized like oh, or like cool or because sometimes we were, you pretend you're? I think it was there was like excitement, yeah, like yeah, and then like I, th- I thought it would have been bigger. <laughs> I thought it would have been more of a thing. And then we kind of start power walking back because we don't want to run because then it seemed like we were running out of the cemetery. And But we knew that it was after midnight, so we figured Ethan's parents were coming home. So we wanted to get there fast, but we didn't want to run. So we're power walking, like, at the speed at which moms exercise. <laughs> does that make sense? Yes, it does, and it paints quite a picture. Yeah, so we're we're moving at mom speed. We get pulled over is a weird word, but that's what it was. A guy pulled over, and he goes, hey. And we stop because we're being yelled at by a grown-up, and we still haven't, like, fully shaken, like, guy yelling at us we're like all right we should hear him out (laughs) so this guy pulls over and he says hey what do you he goes i think he said hey i'm a cop (laughs) which is like a pretty dead giveaway that you're not a cop he wasn't driving a police car he didn't have a uniform on we he seemed drunk for sure so he pulls over and he's yelling he's like where are you kids coming from and we said we were just out for a walk and he says where and my friend Matt steps forward and he said, through the cemetery, which is not true. We hadn't entered the cemetery. And then he said, what's your name? And Matt said his first and last name and then his parents' address. <laughs> to the, which, like, the rest of our jaws dropped. We Even at this age, being, like, and, okay, so... A guy pulls over and he tells you he's a cop. It, and then we it kind of was dawning on us that this guy's story might not be checking out. Like he just <laughs> saw a bunch of kids mom walking and was like, I'll take care of this. <laughs> so Matt gives him his first and last name and parents address. And he said we were in the cemetery. And the guy, he goes, where are you going? He said, we're going back to a friend's house. We're, we're going back to the party. I said, all right, don't let me catch you out here anymore. Which like, or what? And then he goes... If I hear about any trouble in the cemetery, I'll know to come to Matt's first and last name, parents' address. So now 
we're on the hook for anything that happens in the cemetery on New Year's Eve where we did not go. So he <laughs> he swerves and weaves away. And we're like, Matt, first of all, why did you tell him your first and last name? And he's like, I panicked. But you're like going after him. You're like, Matt, what the fuck? Yes. Yeah. We, were, we weren't like mad. It wasn't like we were going to fight him. But we were just like flabbergasted yeah. it was one of the most flabbergasting experiences of my young life you were, you were really shouldering quite a burden yeah so we're mad at matt and we go matt why did you give him your first and last name and your parents address and he was like <laughs> i panicked bad move i get that that's on me and we're like okay why did you tell him that we were in the cemetery when we weren't in the cemetery and he said because then if anything happened in the cemetery we didn't do it, guys. And we we're like, that's the opposite of an alibi confessing to hypothetical crimes that you didn't even commit be- because then, no, that is the worst alibi I've ever heard. That's worse than OJ's if I did it, here's how I would have done it. It's just like straight up the worst idea I've ever heard. So we get back to Ethan's house and we beat his parents there and it's, you know, we clean up enough that it just looks like a bunch of regular teenagers were having a party so it didn't have to get that clean and then um kind of had a tense next day waiting to hear of any vandalism in the cemetery (laughs) because we knew who was taking the fall for that and fortunately there was uh there was not so that was how we spent that that's how i spent the transition from uh 1999 to 2000 i think we probably listened to prince at one point too That was Josh Gondelman. Thank you, Josh Gondelman, for coming by. And thank you for listening to this season of Headlong. I'll be back here in a couple months with the next season. So keep that feed open. And also, before we go, if you're looking for something to hold you over till then, I have got a good one for you. It's from our friends at The Intercept. It's a seven-part investigative podcast called Murderville, Georgia. Two Intercept reporters, Liliana Segura and Jordan Smith, have been investigating a wrongful conviction case in Adel, Georgia, for the past three years. Murderville delves into that story and all its twists and turns. It's really compelling storytelling and important reporting with a man's life sentence on the line. We're going to share a short teaser of it with you now, and if you like what you hear, you can subscribe to the series at theintercept.com slash murderville, or just search for Murderville in whatever podcast platform you use. I mean, it's not like um, a brutal murder during the course of an armed robbery was a routine daily event in this part of the state, right? This is something that happened very, very infrequently. Adel, Georgia, a town of roughly 5,000 people not far from the Florida state line. In 1998, there was a shocking murder there. Police investigators quickly put a man in jail for the crime. He swore he was innocent. Basically, they was going to get somebody black for killing that lady. But then, some 18 months later, a second brutal murder. And just months after that, two more. You see something savagery like that, it's, it's like, you know, who, somebody that does that is a straight psychopath. And the chance of two different people doing the same kinds of things, I mean, it just seems kind of crazy, right? I'm Jordan Smith. And I'm Liliana Segura. We're reporters for The Intercept. Together, we have more than 30 years of experience investigating wrongful convictions. We know how they happen and how putting the wrong person in prison for murder means a killer goes free. Murderville, Georgia. 
Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Thank you.